We serve a good God, amen? amen. If you'd open your Bibles with me to uh, John's Gospel, chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, beginning in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus has known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father enabled him. Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave Two, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word. We thank you for your word, that they are life, Lord, and we pray that you would anoint it that you would allow me to uh, share what you've laid on my heart, that you would open our hearts to receive from you, Lord, and that you would breathe life into us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God is good. Have you ever had one of those moments where, and, uh, you know, I, where you realize you're not 17 anymore? As I've gone through each decade of my life, um, God has had those moments, and I had one of those last night. Um, those of you who know my story, I've shared this before. I'm the youngest of five children, and the closest in age to me is my sister, who's, who's six years older than me. And the oldest is my brother, who's 12 years older than me. And so I've had a lot of fun at their expense as we have gone through the aging process. And last night I went out with my brother, uh, Tom, uh, to a Beatles tribute concert. And it was out at Highland. They had it in a fire station. And um, I had a lot of fun as we were going to a concert because I remember when I went to a rock concert as a kid, uh, we all piled into one car, into my brother's car. And the experience was a little bit different than um, in previous years. Uh, my brother has been having some mobility issues with some medication that he was on, so he had a little trouble getting into the car. Uh, had to scoot him in, put his bottom in first, and swing his legs over. And my sister fell and broke her shoulder. And so, you know, being the younger brother, I was giving him a little grief with that, and I asked him if he brought his walker and those kinds of stuff. And then as we're at the concert, uh, I'm watching the people that are there and, you know, the Beatles first hit the U.S. in, what was it, 1964 when they came over? Was that the year? I'm looking at you because I, I don't know. I wasn't born yet. I wasn't born yet. Um, but uh, they were a little north of 50, let's say. And so I was, Dan and I were having a little conversation and about that. But we brought the lawn chairs that we were sitting on. 
and they were actually beach chairs. And they were very low to the ground. And so when I tried to get up, I had a little bit of trouble getting up off that chair. And I'm not as young as I wasn't 17 anymore. So we had a lot of fun. But do you remember the Beatles song, A Day in the Life? Do you remember that song? I read the news today. Oh, boy. How many of you have been reading the news? How many are tired of hearing about the Mueller report and Russia and the squad and politics? It gets to the point where you don't even want to turn the TV on or read the newspaper or pull up a news app. I saw a, uh, a report that came through Facebook about a young man last night um, as my wife and I uh, went to bed and went to sleep that a young man who was 24 years old was beaten to death in Detroit. Um, over a car accident. Uh, I don't know if you follow, if you heard that. I said, this world, what is this world coming to? It's coming to an end, isn't it? Not because of the Green New Deal, but because Jesus is wrapping things up. You know the song, Jesus is the answer for the world today? Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. So, um, I came to this scripture and uh, do you ever read scripture sometimes and it makes you laugh? Uh, I used to pastor a church. I pastored a small church in Carleton um, for about nine years. And I'm reading this where uh, some of his disciples uh, came. And this, is, this follows the story of uh, the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then he goes across the sea. And uh, a big crowd follows him. And Jesus says to them, um, you're not here because you want to see me. You're not here because you want to see a miracle. You're here because you ate your fill. And you just want some more. You want a free lunch. And then um, in verse 61, he says, uh, does this offend you? He says, just wait. Wait until you see. And then he says something that's going to offend them more, right? And I, said, I was thinking... Jesus didn't take a church growth dynamics class, did he? That's not how you get people. Whenever we would go canvassing and we tried, try to talk about a new church or plant a church or when we first started at the church, we would go out and try to grab a crowd. It was about getting people to come in, not chasing them away, not thinning them out. So your first point, point number one, you don't have a lot in your notes if you have notes at all. If you don't have notes, you can just write it on a piece of paper or a tissue or on the back of an envelope. Or, no, I'm just kidding. We don't use envelopes for that, Pastor. Um, point number one is, what is your motivation? Why are you here? The crowd came because they wanted a free lunch. We had probably the biggest uh, service ever in Carleton when I was there. We had what? Was it about 100 people? Almost 100 people that came into that little church on a Sunday morning. It was amazing. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And the reason is because we had a pig roast. You have a pig roast, people come out. It's amazing. But Jesus, he, he challenges them and he searches their hearts. Why are you here? Are you offended because of what I'm saying? Where he starts talking about how you came to get a free lunch and then he started saying, well, I am the bread. And then they started grumbling amongst themselves, and he said, well, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And they're going, 
what? What is going on here? And they say, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? He starts to challenge them, and it gets harder and harder. You know the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, where the young man comes to him. If you look at Jesus' disciples, Jesus goes to the disciples, and he calls them, right? He says, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, this is the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus, right? He says, good teacher, what must I do to do what? To inherit eternal life, right? Heart's in the right place. He's going to the right person. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? <laughs> he says, you know the commandments. Keep them. And he says, from all these I have, learned, I have kept from the beginning. Um, and Jesus said, the one thing you lack. I just find it fascinating that Jesus picks at that a little bit, doesn't he? He picks back, why are you here? In ministry, we make a lot of effort to get you here. You know, uh, when we would do uh, witnessing, we'd put up a crusade, we'd put up a tent, we'd serve out hot dogs, we'd have a band, we'd have music, we'd go out and invite people to come out, uh, we did kids ministry, we had uh, balloon animals. One of the things I did when we did missions is I learned how to make balloon animals. It's a marketable skill. If you ever need balloon animals, I can make a dog. But we try to get you here. We want you to come out so that Jesus can ask you, why are you here? Are you here because of the band? Are you here because of the music? Are you here because of the free lunch? Are you here because of the awesome balloon animals that I make for you? Jesus wants you to search deeper. And that was the whole discourse about the, uh, the, the bread of heaven, of Jesus equating himself with the manna that came down from heaven and sustained the people of, uh, of Israel in the wilderness. They knew exactly what he was talking about when he was talking about I am the bread. They knew. And that's where the stumbling block comes in. That's where they started to struggle. And Jesus says, the flesh counts for nothing. If you're coming to church, if you're coming to Jesus because of wanting to fill your belly or because of the music or because of the building or because of all these things that we work hard for to get, if that's the only reason you're coming, there's going to come a time when that's going to come empty because it's not, it's not enough. It's of the flesh. The flesh counts for nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. It's the word of God that breathes life into us. We have to get past this idea of being consumers of the gospel. We are not customers. We are not always right. We cannot church shop to look for what's best for us. Now, I understand about styles. And when, when my family and I were looking for a church, we wanted something that, that fit properly, you know, that we were comfortable. Those things are important. But they cannot be the driving force. We come to church to do what? To know God. We come to church to do what? To become disciples. We come to church to do what? To make him known. Amen? And if you look at those things, not one of them are about me, are they? They're about him. They're about allowing him to become glorified in my life. About me drawing closer to God and about me bringing others to him. What is your motivation? 
Ask that question today of yourself. What is my motivation? Why am I coming to church? If they change the music or they change the singers or they change the, the songs or if the lights are on or the lights are off or if we're standing up or not standing, is that going to make a difference? Am I going to get upset about that and start having it become a wedge between my relationship with God? Let it never be. How many know there's a lot of things to get angry about? There's a lot of things to be offended by. We don't look for offense. What is your motivation? Why are you here? Does this offend you? <laughs> Jesus said, just your wait. There's more coming. How many know that sometimes what Jesus says doesn't always fit how I feel or how I think about something? Have you ever come to that point? I like to think I'm 17 years old and then I can't get out of the chair. I'm making fun of my brother with the walk. I can't get up. So the whole, that whole, I'm going to have to find a new way to uh, instigate my siblings because uh, the getting older thing that doesn't work for me anymore as I've crossed over 50 and I'm catching up with them, so to speak. I'm still going to be the annoying little brother. I just have to do it another way. The second point, point number two, is here you see, sorry, here you see the people that were following Jesus saying that this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And if you look in verse 60 and underline it, it says, on hearing it, Many of his, what's that word that starts with a D? Disciples. Underline that word. Many of his disciples said, it wasn't the crowd, remember? Right? It wasn't the crowd that just came to get their, their, their bellies filled. It wasn't the crowd that Jesus initially started challenging with the, with the discourse on uh, the bread of life, bread from heaven. It was his disciples that said, this is a hard saying, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Disciples. These are people that were following Jesus, and they came to a place in their walk with God where the teaching got hard. How many know that as you follow Jesus, there comes a time in your life where the teaching gets hard. We follow Jesus. And Jesus, there was a time in his life when the teaching got hard, when he was in the garden. And he said, Lord, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. That's a hard teaching. That's a hard teaching. And here... It says that many, probably the, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is verse 66. From this time, many of his, what's that word with the D again? Disciples. People who followed Jesus. It doesn't say who they were. It doesn't say how long they followed him. But they said they were his disciples. And a disciple, by definition, is someone who follows Jesus. It says many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus him. It's a hard teaching. They were disappointed. 
Jesus was saying things that they didn't expect him to say. He was doing things they didn't expect him to do. They still thought that he was the one that was going to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem. I love that part because that's in Acts chapter 1, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, as he's preparing to go into heaven, the 12 ask him, now are you going to restore the kingdom? There comes a time in your Christianity, in your walk with God, when you're going to face disappointment. How do you handle that? Second point, how do you handle disappointment? Well, I prayed for somebody to get healed and they died. I prayed for a long time and it didn't work out. I was, I was in ministry and I expected it to go this way, but it didn't happen the way that I expected it to. God, you're not meeting my expectations. I thought it was interesting. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I came across a book by Philip Yancey called Disappointment with God. And I bought it. It had a money-back guarantee on it. Disappointment with God. How can you be disappointed with God? You get disappointed with God when he doesn't meet your expectations. When he doesn't do things the way that you expect them to do. When he doesn't follow the plan that you have mapped out for him. I mean, no, God is God. And you are not. In Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist, who had prepared the way for the Lord, had baptized Jesus when he started his ministry. And it said, uh, he must increase and I must decrease. He's in prison, in Herod's prison. And he hears about Jesus and he sends a message out to his disciples. And the message to Jesus is, are you the one that was promised or should we look for someone else? I mean, no, the prison has a way of really hitting you with dis disappointment and discouragement. It has a way of messing up your perspective. When you're in the prison, and when I use the idea of prison, I'm not talking a little pr literal prison like John was in, but the prison of despair and discouragement, because we all get there sometime. Has anybody in here read Pilgrim's Progress? No, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? Well, Christian's on his way to heaven, and he finds himself in the castle, the giant of despair. And how many know that really ruins your plans when you're in despair and discouragement? And John is there in discouragement. He's in prison. Things are not going the way that he had hoped. Now, he didn't have any problem with Jesus becoming more popular and him, him decreasing. He had said that. But I don't think that John the Baptist expected that he served God his whole life and he's going to find himself in prison. I don't think that was the plan that he had when he graduated from Bible college. And so he's discouraged. And he sends a note to Jesus. And this is how he responds. In Luke chapter 7, verse 21. At that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble 
on account of me. Or blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. The message here that you see, and uh, Gene Edwards writes a great book called A Prisoner in the Third Cell about this whole scene, is that the disciples of John report back to John that many were healed, that many uh, were cured, that many were set free. Many, but not all. And that's a key thing to remember. Because somewhere down the line, the many are healed, but not all are healed. Because Jesus didn't come to heal all the sick. He did not come to heal all the lame. He did not come to cleanse all the lepers. He came to do what? To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to save us from our sins. Amen? So when we struggle with medical illness, when we struggle with diseases, when we struggle with things not going the way that we expect them to, too, understand God is still God. God still has a purpose for our life. And he still saves us. We need to take our eyes off of our situation and our circumstances. We need to take our eyes off of the things that discourage us and lift our eyes up into Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the God who is able to do all things. Just like the three Hebrew children, our God is able to deliver us and our God it will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. See, we get caught up in, we have this, this program, this formula that we expect God to follow. And when he doesn't follow our way, our plans, the things that we expect him to do, we get all bent out of shape. And we're ready to go somewhere else. How do you handle disappointment? How do you handle discouragement? What are you going to do when things don't go the way that you think they should. His disciples turned and no longer followed him. Now I put to you that it must have been a lot because Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, you're not going to go too, are you? It's a discouraging thing when people in the church leave. I remember my pig roast. We had a great day that day, didn't we? Day. Biggest, biggest population I had in the church ever. And as I'm enjoying it, I'm going out to take my, my picture. With uh, We had a missions team come in. That was probably about 25 of my 100 that were there. And then some people from the other church came for the pig roast. And that was probably another 15 or 20. As I'm out there taking my picture with the, the group, I discover that somebody that's in leadership in my church is getting ready to leave the church. <laughs> and so they're telling everybody that Sunday, oh, this is my last Sunday. And they're all going, why? What's, you know, kind of a little letdown when people leave. It takes the, takes the fun away from the pig roast and the numbers of people. But understand, it's not about coming to get fed. Jesus wants people who are not the crowd. He wants people that are not there for a free lunch People that are not just there because they like the music. What does Peter say? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You hold the words of eternal life. In that perspective, you hold the words of eternal life. 
Understand, this is the Jesus that they saw walk across the water. This is the Jesus who was able to calm the storm with a word. This is the Jesus who healed the lepers, that changed the water into wine, that raised the dead. Where are they going to go? If eternal life is what they want. If a relationship with God is what they want. If their sins being cleansed is what they want. If they want to be born again, where are they going to go? Jesus is the answer for the world today. How do you handle disappointment? Do you have a place to go? Can you walk away? Can you just turn your back on what Jesus has done for you? Not if you tasted and saw that the Lord is good. Not if you know that God is your creator who made you fearfully and wonderfully who has your days mapped out before a, uh, before a day started. All your days were written before, the, before one of them came to be. Not if you see him as your savior, that you know that he loves you unconditionally, that he died for your sins, that he paid the price that you were not able to pay. Not if you know that though your sins be as scarlet, they are as white as snow. If you taste and see the Lord is good, you have no place to go. Because it's all about Jesus. The third point. Yeah, I would do that. No, I'll come back to it. I won't go to my third point. I'll go back to Elijah. Elijah was disappointed with God. Uh, one of my favorite stories is in, is in 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19. Uh, the story of the prophet Elijah. You all know Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He was a prophet of power. Uh, in fact, he didn't die. He went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Amen? Well, he also uh, had a big victory on Mount Carmel where he called fire down from heaven. And if you look at that, after he had this big success, after he had the pig roast, <laughs> where the prophets of Baal all died, he killed the prophets of Baal by the sword, he had this tremendous victory. He got a text message from Jezebel that said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he turned tail and he ran. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. They're supposed to cheer for me, right? They're supposed to clap. Everybody's supposed to follow God. And things are going to be hunky-dory after this. We're going to have a pig roast. I'm going to have 100 on Sunday every Sunday, right? Things are going to be good. No. You're going to die. Before this day is over, you're going to be just like the prophet said. You, oh, i got to get out of town. And he ran away. He hid under a tree, uh, juniper tree and said, Lord, if only I could die. That's kind of a change, isn't it? It's like, boom, he's on the mountaintop, whoosh, down the valley. He hit that. God isn't meeting my expectations. And he takes you to chapter 19. God ministers to, to Elijah, and then he sends him up to the Mount Herod. He says, I'm going to go up to the mountain, I'm going to meet with you. And you may know the story, up in, he goes up on Mount Herob, and all these things happen. Uh, he sees a firestorm, he sees an earthquake, he sees a, a mighty wind. And this phrase comes right after it, but God was not in the earthquake. But God was not in the mighty wind. But God was not in the, the fire. God was not in the demonstrations of power, he was not in the miraculous. But Elijah, Elijah heard a gentle whisper, and he put the cloak over his head, and he went out because he knew he was there to meet with God. God doesn't come to us in, in demonstrations of his power. So if you're wondering, 
why isn't God healing all the time? Why is God not answering these prayers the way I want him to? Why is God not meeting my... Because God's not revealing himself to us in the demonstrations of his power. God reveals himself to us in relationship with him. He goes out and he meets with God and God speaks with him and Elijah gives him the same complaint. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And God gives him a dose of truth. You're not the only one left. You're not the only one. How do you handle disappointment? You go to God. How do you handle disappointment? You trust him at his word. Abraham, uh, when God told him to leave his home, leave his family, uh, and go to the land where he would show him, he didn't know where he was going, but he knew God and he trusted him. And he obeyed. Third question, third point. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Are you authentic? Are you real? That's the third question. Why are you here? How do you handle disappointment when it comes? And are you authentic? Are you real? There's an old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We as Christians have to quit putting on a facade that we have things all together or that we know it all or we have all the answers or, you know, we're so, so eager to tell people that they're wrong. Well, I'm so eager to tell people that, are, that they're wrong as opposed to um, showing them that I care. Because ultimately, I don't know all the answers. And as I get older, I discover that what I thought I knew, <laughs> I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And then my mom and dad sure knew a whole lot more than I ever thought they did. And then I'm trying to tell my children that story so that they understand that I know a lot more than they think. Well, it doesn't always work that way, but. Are you authentic? Are you real? Turn with me real quick to Acts chapter 4. Very powerful uh, portion of scripture in the early church. Uh, this is after the day of Pentecost. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And just do a little setup for this. Um, the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the disciples. They spoke with tongues. They went out in the courtyard. Peter had his um, uh, famous sermon. 3,000 were added to, that, to the church that day. And um, they started, the church, church was born. And Peter and John were, as their uh, habit was, they were on their way to the temple to, uh, to pray. And they came across a beggar who was begging, silver and, uh, asked for silver and gold. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he healed him on the spot. And that made kind of a ruckus in the area because the man had been sitting there begging for many years. And Peter and John were taken before the Sanhedrin. And that name, the Sanhedrin, that's the very group of people that were responsible for crucifying Jesus just a few days before.
And this is the Sanhedrin that are saying this in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. That is so powerful. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. And I want that written on my tombstone. That he had been with Jesus. Of anything that you can say, I want people to say that he knows God. That he knows Jesus. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I want, um, I don't want to know all the answers. I don't want to be right. I don't want uh, you to think that I'm the great. I want you to know that I know Jesus. That's the most important thing. That I've been with him. That he has changed my life. That he has healed me of my loneliness and my insecurity. Well, <laughs> I almost said insecurities. We're still working on that one. Um, but that he has changed my life. That he's forgiven me of my sin. That he has uh, breathed that new life in me and that I've been born again. I want uh, people to know. And so it's okay for them to see my inadequacies and my failures and my shortcomings. Because uh, when I am weak, he is strong. Because it's not about me, it's about him. And so I want to decrease and let him increase. And so that when people spend time with me, they know that Jesus is here. Does that make sense? I want to be authentic. I want to be real. And when they saw the man that had been healed, that they walked by every day, the Sanhedrin, as they were on their way to the temple, they walked by this man every day too. And there he was standing before them, praising the Lord. And it was the power of God, the power of Jesus, that had healed him. And there was nothing they could say. They could not dispute what God has done. Isn't that powerful? You can argue theology all day. You can debate the pros and the cons. You can, uh, I've never argued an atheist into the kingdom of God. I argued them into becoming an agnostic. That was about as close as I got. But they cannot dispute the power of God. When I was a Bible teacher at Failing Christian uh, School, we used to have uh, Spiritual Emphasis Week. And if you know anything about Christian schools, or church kids, there is a segment of the population that are kind of hardened because they see this come through where people get spiritual, then they go back to the way they were, then they get spiritual, and they go back the way. They see a lot of that, so they kind of get hardened to it, and they come up with this. If Stop me if you've heard this before. They're nothing but hypocrites in the church. Oh, they're all hypocrites. And I remember I challenged my class as we were talking about Spiritual Emphasis Week, it was coming up. And I said, you know, I said, okay, I'll agree with you that there's hypocrites in the church, but if I can show you one person who's not a hypocrite, will you listen to God then? And they had nothing to say. Because I was their Bible teacher, and every day, I taught it, I lived it, I challenged them, they challenged me, I was real, and I was authentic before them. Are you authentic? Can they say to you that this man has been with Jesus? God will work in your life if you let him. God will speak to you if you listen. God will change you if you surrender to him. I know because God's done it in my life.
When I was 17 years old, I could get out of a chair, but I couldn't find my way out of a paper bag. I was lost. And Jesus found me. And Jesus changed my life. And the life that I'm living now is nothing compared to the path that I was on. And so whenever it comes to the idea of, God, you're not doing things the way that I think you should, he said, well, look at where you were before I found you. And I have to stop and say, you're right. God has transformed my life. He has changed my life. I'm having this fun experience. Have you ever had a contractor come to your house? Now, I'm not a handyman. My wife has gotten to the point now where she won't allow me to experiment with things because um, when I was changing a uh, ceiling fan, it kind of hung there for uh, about a week because I didn't have the right parts. And when I was doing plumbing, we went a month until I could uh, get a plumber to come out and fix it right because <sighs> and discovered that I paid double. So now she's at the point she doesn't like me to do that kind of stuff. And I'm having a door repaired. And it was a simple repair because my door was shot. What do you do? You go buy a new door, right? Put it on. Well, how many know when you have somebody that knows what they're doing, they can look at it with a little different eye than you? I'm looking at, you took that door, you put it on, and boop, no problem, right? Well, there's this little problem with dry rot. You know what that is? <laughs> Where you can't just like paint it, it has to be replaced. If you want it done right, if you want the door, you can, you can, you can I could have the door hung up, but then in, in a few years I just have to do the whole thing over again. The expert, the person that knows what they're talking about, who's well acquainted and well versed in construction materials, because that's what he does all the time, knows how to fix the problem. Doesn't always see it. You might not see it. God knows how to fix your problem. He knows what you need. He made you. Well, well, but you don't. You said you're not going to test me more than I can bear. Well, if God's testing you, you can bear it. You have to have faith in Him, and trust Him, and understand that it's not about you. It's about Him. Are you authentic? When you're weak, uh, is he strong? Wrapping up. What's your motivation? I hope that you're here because you want to know Jesus. Well, Pastor, I've been coming here for 30 years. Okay. What's your motivation? Why are you here this evening? Are you here because you want to know Jesus? Whenever two or more are gathered in his name, behold, he is in the midst. He's here right now. Do you want to know him more? He's here. Draw close to him. We have the opportunity to draw close to him, and he will draw close to, draw close to us. You're discouraged in, in disappointment. If you read John Bunyan, uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is in, the, is in the dungeon of the giant of despair, but... He has the key with him all the time. The key is faith. The key is believing God and who he is and what he said he will do. Trust in God that he is for you, not against you. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
You're discouraged because your eyes are not on what God wants you to do. It's on what you want to do or what you think should be done or what you think he should do. Get your eyes on God. We have a purpose. What's our purpose? To know him and to make him known. I love seeing in the media uh, all these, these kids that are uh, so caught up with different causes. They get uh, turned on emotionally to the situations of the day. And I don't know if you heard about the straw thing where uh, they don't want to use straws because, because they get into the... the um, they get into the oceans and kill animals or whatever, so uh, they're not taking the plastic straws anymore. And it's like, okay, there's lots of things to get excited about, but what should we as the church get excited about? Our mission is what? To make Jesus known. What does Jesus do? What is it that we can tell people about? He loves you. We learn in kids' church. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you whether you follow him or you don't follow him. Whether you believe in him or you don't believe in him. He loves you. But he died for you. He died for you to set you free from your sin. And if you trust him, he will cleanse your sin. He gives you eternal life. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where you are, where I am, there you may be also. We know the in Revelation where he talks about uh, there be a new heavens and a new earth. How many know that this world is, is terrible and that uh, it seems to be getting worse day by day? But I got good news for you. This world is not our home. There will come a day when there will be no more war. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow nor, nor disease. There will be no more teardrops. For the old order has been passed away. We need to stand and understand that. We need to make him know. Do we not have a cause, church? Do we not have something to live for and to share and to get us up out of bed every, each and every day? Why are you here this evening? How do you handle disappointment? Do you handle it with faith? And are you authentic? Do people know that you've been with Jesus? I'm going to conclude here. The story of Elisha. When Elijah was on Mount Horeb, complaining that he was all alone, God told him, you're not alone. Oh, and by the way, go anoint Elisha to be your servant, and you'll never be lonely again. You're going to have a companion that's going to go with you. And Elijah knew that his time was coming short, and he was going to meet with God. And Elisha was following him. And if you read the story, Elijah tried to ditch Elisha a couple of times. And finally, Elijah turned around and said, what would you have for me? And Elisha says, I want to see you when the Lord takes you. He goes, I want a double portion of what you got. Because I know that you've been with God. And he saw Elisha taken up in a whirlwind, chariots of fire. And the mantle fell. Elisha picked up the mantle. And he struck the river. Struck the waters. And he said, Where is the God of Elijah? It wasn't a question of doubt. It was a question of faith. It was a question of triumph. Lord, to whom shall we go? You're all we need. 
Let's stand. Lord, I've been praying and I'm not seeing the answer. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. The Lord hears your prayer. Trust him. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Trust him that God is for us. And then act out in faith. Share the gospel. Are you more prepared for 2020, the 2020 election? Are you more caught up with arguing political points of view than the election of the saints? Pastor. There's a verse of scripture. There's a verse of scripture as Mike was preaching tonight that kept coming to mind. And if you're overwhelmed and you're struggling with disappointment tonight, and I, I think this is a good word for us, but if you're overwhelmed or you're struggling with disappointment, what I kept hearing Mike say over and over again in different ways and with different illustrations, look to Jesus. Jehoshaphat prayed in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12. He says, Lord, we don't know what to do, so we look to you for help. I can't tell you how many times I've been there. I'm typically there every Saturday night before the service. That's why I love Saturday night prayer so much. So I'm going to invite you, come in these few minutes we've got, and let's find a place in this altar and kneel and bring any disappointments that you have and just look to God for help tonight. You don't have to explain it to him. Just say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. And Mark, can we sing that chorus? I need you. Oh, I need you. Come, let's find a place of prayer tonight.